Welcome to the Beers podcast, Violin Stories. This is a series about the violin and its siblings, the viola and cello, and those who play them. My name is Simon Morris, and in each episode, I or one of my colleagues will interview an exceptional person from the world of string playing, be they a virtuoso, a collector, philanthropist, or violin maker. In this episode, I'm talking to Paul Cassidy, violist with the renowned Brodsky String Quartet for the last 40 years. Paul grew up in Derry, the youngest of 16 siblings, enough for four quartets, at a time when the Irish Troubles were at their worst. We're speaking to each other at a very strange time during the Easter lockdown of 2020, when people are isolated at home, avoiding the awful coronavirus, and yet filling their time trying to go viral. And so it is with Paul and I now speaking to each other a couple of hundred miles apart. So Paul, first of all, welcome. Now you didn't come from the most typical background for a musician, arriving at the Royal College of Music in the late 70s. How did it all begin? I was born in Derry in 1959 into, uh, well, a typical kind of Irish family. I mean, I'm the youngest of 16. <laughs> Maybe that's not so typical, but <laughs> the youngest of 16. Uh, my dad was a publican. Uh, my mum, well, you can imagine what my mum did. Um, yeah, she was a stay-at-home mum. <laughs> and it was an extraordinary experience, you know, to 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 follow all those people. I mean, what could I do? My parents had the T-shirts, you know. There was not, not a lot I could do to surprise them. Um, but, uh, you know, something that they had a love of music. They were not musicians uh, per se, but they had a kind of love of music, and there were instruments lying around the house. Um, I picked up the violin, and I started I started. Uh, playing that instrument when I was about eight. Um, got away from Derry when I was 16. You know, Derry was tricky back then in the mid-70s. There was a, there was a situation going on there that um, I, I needed to get away from uh, if I was to pursue my, my love of classical music and my, my wish to, to make a life in that, in that area, you know. And was but, your, wasn't your father's pub actually bombed? Uh, in fact, my dad's pub, which he'd built up, you know, he bought that place in 1933 when it was just one room selling selling stout in clay bottles and one type of whiskey. Um, there was no toilet. <laughs> Incredible. And 40 years later, it was blown up um, and, and really blown up. It, it, it was completely destroyed. And uh, in fact, he never... He never rebuilt it. He he walked away from it, and it's curious to think. For for me, it's it's curious to think. You know, he was kind of my age when that happened, and uh, yeah, uh, I, only now do I understand what you know what that meant really for him. And it must have been a real. You say you couldn't really have held many surprises being the youngest of sixteen. On the other hand, you probably were a surprise because parents don't really expect their children to end up in a string quartet uh, for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's pretty unusual career path for somebody from Northern Ireland at that time, I imagine. Yeah. And, you know, actually looking back on it, it was, it was such a fast, uh, it all happened so quickly because um, as I said, you know, I was 14 when, when I really, when classical music hit me, you know, 
it, it hit me like a bolt out of the blue. Um, and then I left home at 16, got into the college when I was, well, 17, 18. And I was in the Brodsky Quartet when I was 22. You know, nice. so like it was only, yeah, well, whatever that is, eight years from thinking, wow, I love this to, to actually, you know, playing in the Wigmore, you know. <laughs> It, wow, it, that's it was, putting. It was interesting. It was a. It, it quick. It happened very quickly. Paul, we're living through a really weird period at the moment. This coronavirus. We're all in lockdown. How are you spending your time? And and has it given you any other perspectives on on life with this enforced cathartic kind of time? It is, as you say, an extraordinary time. Uh, <laughs> I have personally, I found it almost impossible to pick up the viola. Uh, funnily enough, it's it's. I, I feel curiously uh, shell shocked in that respect. We were about to go on stage in Holland when the Dutch Prime Minister um, came on television, actually, and and closed the country right there and then. I mean, he didn't give twelve hours or twenty four hours. He closed it right then. And uh, <laughs> instead of instead of doing our rehearsal for that concert, uh, we hightailed it to Schiphol and came home. And from that moment, um, our well, like so many people, I mean, our entire future, our whole diary disappeared. Um, and I don't know; it's left me sort of shell shocked. I'm quite lucky in a way that um, I, I, I'm in the middle of writing a book, actually about. Um, my time in the quartet, 40 years of being in the quartet. So this has allowed me uh, some some free time to get on with that, really concentrate on that, which has been lovely. And we're, we're very lucky. We, we live in a nice part of London. Uh, we have one of our, Jackie and I have one of our daughters, Celia, is, is with us. So that's rather lovely. And, you know, so far we haven't... Uh, Come we to haven't blows, come to so that's wonderful. <laughs> And um, Paul, what is it about the viola that appealed to you so much? I love the role of the viola. Playing in a string quartet, of course, is like the ultimate. <laughs> That's for, for it's, viola. yeah. You think it's that, where all the repertoire is for the for the viola, isn't it? Really, really? I mean, and of course with the sextets and quintets as well. Yeah. But you you have all that um, as well as the quartet. Yeah. So you think of all the amazing, all, all the great composers who were viola players you know from yeah Haydn and beethoven mozart right through to britain hindemid i mean you, you name it you know they so many brett dean <laughs> you know so many yes. amazing uh sally beamish you know yes uh, there's something about the, the the viola sitting in there in the middle of harmonies and, and kind of it's got this i don't know it's got this particular sound that, that and it's amazing i mean nobody argues that of course the first violin has the most notes is the most yeah. uh, virtuosic part in in a quartet but but when you hear a really great and effective quartet um it's the middle parts that really make the difference um between it being a quartet and a great quartet I think, um, because it, it, you need that cohesive cohesiveness all the way through 
yeah. all four parts. It, and it doesn't work so well if there if there are weaknesses. I mean, also the, the overall sound has to be the, the sound is so uh, you know. It's, it's 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 such a kind of single sound in a way. You know, it's almost like mono. You know, as opposed yeah. to you, you, if if and 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 if the sound is not that's being produced is not of of the same quality, then it's quite noticeable. You know. Yes, and what's the what's the biggest challenge? I mean, you're talking about getting the sound right, and is that the biggest? challenge when you sit down and rehearse is it getting the intonation and, and matching tone quality or or is it arguing about musical nuances what, what what is it that makes it such a challenge well i think probably first and foremost uh, if if you're not playing in tune you have a problem <laughs> yeah intonation is 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 pretty much everything but but you know the sound like uh, <sighs> The sound comes from from within. It, it, it's what you. It's what comes out of you. And uh, if that sound is not pleasing and um, it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't sort of grip the listener, then again, you know, you, you're you're on a sticky wicket. You know, the, these these things are extremely important. And I think maybe further down the line. Uh, you start talking about the intricacies of of kind of yeah the phrasing and and what the composer actually meant you know yeah. these new editions of Beethoven well I say new they're twenty years old but uh, the new editions of Beethoven I mean we had to relearn all the Beethoven quartets in the in the late nineties because of Henley and Berenreiter you know you remember all those uh, Peters editions and stuff it was so heavily edited that. It bore no resemblance to to the composer's wishes whatsoever. Whereas sure. Beethoven has got one of the most detailed musical languages I know. And and going back to intonation for a second, yeah. the which is basically playing in tune. I think for those that have never played in a string quartet, won't realise that actually playing in tune and getting intonation that works is a matter of opinion. <laughs> it's not fixed like it is on a piano um, where where you've got a certain amount of compromise between every note to make it well-tempered. And of course, so so that must be, all, you know, every phrase that you have, you've got that question over whether the leading note is sharp enough or too sharp or, yeah. and, and that, and, and, and as you say, that really affects the overall, quality of the sound and do you do you adjust the type of intonation that you use say for mozart as a as compared to bartok yeah i think you do actually i think mm. you do. and uh, of course <laughs> it's fascinating when you play piano quintet because then you know um the tendency uh, on strings is is to push leading notes sharp or have sharp major thirds th these sort of things and of course yeah. on piano that that doesn't quite marry up you know so you have to yes you have to temper everything um but but of course uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't say i wouldn't say every eight bars but certainly every page of of quartet music someone will have uh, for example like a pedal note or, or 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 a harmony note that is that is held and you know as the music progresses over or under that held note you, you have to 
you have to adjust as the music moves. It's fascinating. Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, you can't just sit there and say, right, I've, this is an A flat and <laughs> that's where it's staying. <laughs> that, yes, yeah. that will work. Vibrato, of course, is, is incredibly important, at least for me. You know, um, it, you can't just have, have a sound that, that's, that, that's just for everything. You know, that, that, that's awful. And um, mm-hmm. it's very important, I think, to, to know when you want to introduce vibrato, how much vibrato, how slow, how quick. You know, uh, th- these mm-hmm. are all fascinating things. But, but as you say, you know, there are four of you and each and every little, uh, <laughs> each and every little shake of the left hand <laughs> can involve, you know, a four-way discussion. <laughs> so people often say that quartets are, married to each other they spend so much time and you're working together you're traveling eating together well you've gone one step further you are, are actually married Yay. <laughs> and um you both you, you're both very happy together I, I almost said seem very happy but actually no you are you, you you're actually very happy together and um so what's the secret paul is is jackie just incredibly tolerant is that the, the secret or <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to take her off the market, you know, yeah. <laughs> such hot property. Um, I think, listen, you know, I think we're just, we're lucky, you know, some, some people, some people thrive on, on, on distance and other people um, need proximity. And uh, I, I can only speak for myself, but I, I certainly know that if I had spent my life well, if I had spent my life with someone who was not with me, gosh, I, I just don't know if I could have could have held it together. You know, being away so much, and um, you know, just in the last year, which didn't seem like the busiest year of all time. You know, we've been to fourteen countries, and wow. it's uh, it's kind of relentless. That, but um, it's not that. Believe you me, it's not. It's not as though Jackie and I had a had an easy kind of trip, you know. I mean, we also come from these enormous families, which put massive pressure, um, well, not on on your relationship, you know. I mean, they do. And then, mm-hmm. uh, as you well know, introducing children is that that's that can be the the ultimate challenge, you know, to any relationship. And we had we well we chose to bring ours with us. You know, we 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 took both our girls everywhere um, until of course, until school got um, well. The school issue became too difficult uh, to surmount. You know, but we did for ten or twelve years. We took them absolutely everywhere with us, which was wow. That was yeah, amazing. and and you stayed together. You know the core players in the, in the quartet have been together for a, a long time because there are two sides to the coin, aren't there? There's the not spending enough time with the people you love, but you see it with some quartets just spending too much time with people you don't love. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so it's uh, it, you know it, it's quite an achievement, I think, for a quartet to to have so much time to, to together for any four people. Actually, it's it's quite remarkable. Yeah, um, I, to, to you know, that. listen, I, I've done 40 years, uh, but I, I do uh, almost on a daily basis take my hat off to to Ian and Jackie, you know, because they're founder members. I mean, yes. we're, talking, <laughs> we're closing in on 50 years. Next year will be 50 years. 
and um, you know to 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 have to have had this dream and this kind of incredible drive. I mean, from the age of ten, Jackie was ten and Ian was eleven, but they were in this quartet. You know, they were they, they were unstoppable and and. They just they've got this you know just an exceptional devotion to the to to the to the cause and um, yeah. uh, to no, that really is through all the teenage years you know I mean wow yeah it's amazing anyway I, I think yeah. they're great <laughs> so so Paul you play all the um, standard repertoire for want of a better word but. Um, the Brodsky Quartet's been a little unusual in in as you have collaborated with other musicians that one doesn't regard as at the at the centre of classical Schubert, Mozart, Beethoven repertoire. Um, how did that come about? I'm thinking in particular Elvis Costello and and your collaborations with him. Yeah, look, you know, I I think that we were just. Um... I wouldn't say unusual because I mean, so many classical musicians have a very broad um, love of music. But uh, the four of us just—I don't know—we just seemed to have a curious personality, and um, and and uh, you know, had an upbringing where other music was there. It, for, for us, it, it was—it wasn't even a, a decision to be taken. It was. When we when we met Elvis, we we were both with the same we were both with Warner Brothers, the same recording company, and you know some bright spark within the company um, put us together, and and it was literally love at first sight. I, we, there was no question about anything. I mean, we we simply we met on a Thursday, and on the Monday we started writing <laughs> together, and you know, well, we had never written music, but with his influence, because you know. He couldn't even write music when he met us, but uh, you know, being Elvis, he's such an extraordinary musician. He he just um, he just immediately learned how to write music, just just right then and then. I mean, it took him like two weeks. I mean, it's astonishing. But wow. but he opened things for us, and and we opened doors for him in in terms of our in terms of our uh, music musicality and it was incredibly exciting and you know within weeks we were writing songs and lyrics and uh choruses and it was it was just a, a monumental uh education it, it really was fantastic and we didn't you know other things came from that i mean but but we were incredibly careful we had to I mean we were a string quartet you know we like six months before we did the Juliet letters, we had recorded all the Shostakovich quartets in Berlin. So, and uh, you know, we had a we had a career of our own. Um, but we did go on to work with Bjork, who was I mean, I mean, she's an exceptional artist, an amazing musician, and we did twenty three songs with her. You know, endless concerts in stadiums and goodness knows what. Um, we worked with Sting and Paul McCartney and uh, Ron Sexsmith and Meredith Monks, and Django Bates, you know, uh, Dave Brubeck, uh, so many extraordinary, yeah. But we well, that's that's we really amazing. Worked that's... with Maria Joao Pires and uh, and Sophie oh, Hollander yes. and yeah. <laughs> wow, what a what a privilege to have such a a breadth of musical musical talent in your life. You know, that's that's it, really. 
it, quite it really was exciting, I have to admit. Audiences seem to like it. There's something, of course, about the stiffness of a classical concert that I've always noticed, you know, back in the days when I played that if something went wrong, audiences, they almost love that the most. <laughs> what are the disasters that you've lived through <laughs> on stage? Interestingly, I often feel when I come off stage, um, if, I've, if I think to myself, oh, we really nailed that tonight, that was a fantastic performance of, you know, the Schubert A minor or something like that. I, I almost always feel <laughs> that the audience has been, is kind of, has, has been left cold. And yet, conversely, I find that often when I come off and, I, you know, I just, I, I, I want to like kill myself. I go into a depression for five days about how awful I'd, I'd played, that the audience is on its feet. And yeah. I think that there is something that when you're struggling, it, it, there's a kind of, um, I don't, you know, the, the, there's, there's just a chemistry that's happening on stage that, that finds its way into the audience. And often we're, um, performances where, where you're having a tough time, the audience is loving it. And when you're breezing through, uh, you know, seemingly on top of everything, on top of your game, yeah, the audience is kind of looking around. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. But I take what you say, and I mean, there have been, there have been, of course, times over the years when, you know, uh, I don't know, someone on the front row, uh, you're doing a lunchtime, a BBC lunchtime, and someone on the front row opens a rather large kind of lunchbox and starts tucking into their <laughs> cheese <laughs> sandwich, you know, <laughs> uh, that, things like that. Or um, what I, I must say, I, I hated when strings break. Um, and I remember playing in the Concertgebouw in the big hall. We were playing the Schubert Quintet, and um, Jackie's C string went. Now, anybody that knows the Concertgebouw knows that you have to go up those en that enormous staircase past the organ, and then if you're foolish enough to have left your strings in the, in the dressing, <laughs> you have to make your way to the bowels of the building. You know. And so we were the, we we were playing with Natalie Klein and oh my goodness! But anyway, somehow I don't know how, but Jackie miraculously she had brought her strings to backstage, and so the whole thing was over reasonably quickly. But things like that really mm, they disrupt the the flow, don't they? And uh, yes, yeah, yes, you know the the especially well, let's, especially in a piece like that. Yeah, exactly. In a so D string, how poised? Often yes, yeah. Oh, that no, that's really. Yeah, was that's cool. really tough. That was cool. And and how do you feel for the future? I, I mean, the death of classical music so often, well, gets announced on a sort of yearly basis. Um, and yet, in China, I think there are now over sixty-five orchestras. Um, so, in parts of the world, you know, classical music's always um, expanding. But how how have you how have you found it? What's what's your experience of of that? Well, oddly, um, <laughs> the, the next thing in our diary that hasn't yet been wiped is, is a two-week tour of China in the autumn. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> well, we'll see. And, and actually, Wuhan is on that list. Um, I hope we get to do that. Uh, but, um, you know, people always talk about uh, classical audiences being old and what happens when they die out. But, but of course, when they die out, 
the next set of people are that age. I mean, that's, yes. know, we've, been, we've been playing to uh, old-ish audiences for 40 years now. So, you know, something must happen because it's not the same people. And I think, look, I think inevitably classical music, partic- particularly chamber music, it just seems to be something that people come to. You know, you, you sort of have to arrive there for most people. Different for people like me and you, you know, um, mm-hmm. who are just uh, well, I don't know. I mean, we studied music and we uh, we know we we kind of get a feel for it early, but I think for most people they they come to it a little bit later in life, and frankly, that's okay. You know, it is wonderful on occasion when we go out and there's a whole kind of bevy of young youngsters that have been brought along or have come along for whatever reason. Listen, we once played. <laughs> We want, and I'm not kidding you. We once played in Australia, and we came out uh, for you know to, to to start the concert, and there was a a whole row of kind of 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 young girls all dressed up in kind of fairy costumes, you know, like <laughs> it was difficult. I mean, we had to kind of put them out of our mind, but there was there were a lot of them, and they were all dressed up in these extraordinary kind of pink creations. And they stayed to the end. Not only did they stay to the end, but they kind of got to their feet. And, oh, wow. And, and started kind of, uh, hooray, hooray. Oh. So we played a kind of lengthy encore set, set. And then afterwards, we were leaving the building. And they were all there outside the, the artist's entrance. And we, so of course, can we have your autograph? Oh, you know, and they were like, we were having to sign their shoulders. And, and it oh. turned out. That it was a hen party. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> we were like incredulous. We said, "Hang on a minute, you, you're this is literally your hen party." And she said, "Yeah." And we, you know, we we love the Brodsky Quartet. <laughs> and when we saw you were in town, this is what we decided to do. I mean. So what can I say? Well, I have to say that's that's a first. <laughs> <laughs> that's a first. <laughs> and the first hen party to to. to to go to a string quartet concert ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Now, Paul, your your fascinating life is going to appear in a book, I believe. And and so, what? T- tell me about that. Oh well, thanks for for mentioning that. Um, you know what? People have been saying me saying to me for so many years. Yeah, you should write a book. You should write a book. Um, and in the end, uh, it was my kids. Really, they they, they put the pressure on. And I decided to, to just kind of try and do this. Now, I mean, I'm not a writer. I'd, I'd written a few articles for, you know, I don't know, BBC Music or The Strad or something like that, but I'm not a writer. But I sat down to, to write this book, of course, about my time in the, in the Brodsky Quartet. But I found that I, I simply couldn't, I, I couldn't put pen to paper w- without starting at the beginning. And uh, once I'd started... Oh, oh my goodness! I, uh, well, by the time I put the last full stop down for the first time, um, I, I had nearly two hundred thousand words. So, you know, I, I then began to realize that a book tends to be around about eighty thousand words. So, so I, I had overstepped the mark slightly. And then when, when I when I showed it to people, and people were kind enough to to sort of um, look over it. I found that more often than not, they were actually taken to the early part. 
So anyway, cut a long story short, uh, I, I cut the book in two. <laughs> and this first book, which is, is called Get Beethoven, um, is, is actually those early years. So it, 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 it takes you from, well, from my, my earliest memory up, up until the age of 22 when I, when I joined the quartet. And um, yeah, it comes out uh, on the 28th of May on the Matador label. So Fantastic! Very well, excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, it's, uh, as presumably will be available in all disreputable bookshops. <laughs> it will yeah, <laughs> yeah. ever open up again, but you can order it through the Matador uh, website. Matador. Okay. Well, thanks, Paul. Um, I'm sure that'll be a great success. Very many thanks to Paul Cassidy of the Brodsky Quartet. Our next guest will be Sir Michael Hill, who began life as a violinist but went on to create a jewellery empire of 300 stores, has owned a Stradivari violin of his own, and also has a violin competition bearing his name. This podcast is brought to you by J&A Beer and the Beers International Violin Society. If you would like more information, please visit beers.com.